My last sermon is next week, and I told the North Carolina team, you guys get to take my sermon, but I'll still be paid for it, so it's, it's all right, all right? Whether they do the testifying or me. But uh, uh, what a great three and a half years, and uh, I thank you for that, and I've learned a lot. Today, though, I, I want to talk. I, I, I chose a scripture, and Owen came in and said, I, I'm trying to figure out an invitation to go with it. And I told him the scripture, and he just looked not very excited. <laughs> how, how can you do that scripture, Gail? What are we doing? What are we doing? I, don't, I can't think of an invitation song that goes with that. Oh, okay. Oh, excellent. He's got one. He figured it out. Well, can, I, can I ask you guys a question? Are you excited for Christmas? Oh, you know, I like that. Yeah, there, there was no hesitation. Have, have, have you been brave enough to go underneath the tree and maybe touch a few boxes and jiggle them? It's okay. You're in church. You can confess to a pastor. They have to forgive you. Whatever you confess to here today, you have to forgive them of that. You know? uh, so let me ask you, do you guys get to open maybe a present early like on Christmas Eve? The dog already did. Oh, the smart dog. Even the dog has it. But, but do, you, do you guys get open one early maybe? Probably today. My parents Probably today. Awesome. Yeah. You know, I have a grandson, True, Truman, who's uh, three years old. And every present that gets put underneath the tree, he is down there and he is shaking it. And, and he, he can't spell his name, but he looks for T's. If he sees a capital T, he knows it's for Truman. And he is so excited for Christmas. He can't wait. You know what he keeps asking me? He keeps asking me the same thing Denise asked me in the car driving to North Carolina. Is it time yet? Are we there yet? But he keeps saying, is it, is it Christmas? How many more days to Christmas? Anybody have the number of hours down? Oh, I'll bet you there's somebody, you know, and I used to think it was a, a thing that the little kids got excited for Christmas, but let me tell you, I know some 85-year-olds that are pretty anxious for Christmas, that, that can't wait until they can open the present, or, or maybe they can't wait until they see their, their children or their grandchildren come home and, and have a meal with them, and this may be the only time a year to get together as a family, and, and they're so excited for Christmas, and they just can't wait. Jamie, are you excited for Christmas? Oh, man, oh, I found the Grinch. Okay, there we go. Yeah, I think that's just because I asked the question, actually. I think he's pretty excited. But, uh, yeah, they just can't wait. You ever get that way in your life? You just can't wait. You know, one of the things that we do pretty badly is waiting. Anybody here just love to go to the DMV and pull a number out and wait until they get to you? And anybody here just love to go to Walmart and see they only have two clerks for the entire store uh, the week of Christmas? And you just love to stand behind all those people waiting. The, the, the reality is, we are impatient people. We, we, Denise gets mad at me. I have this, moving to Carroll, <clears throat> one of the things I'm not going to miss is the train. Okay? I cannot 
park and wait for a train to pass. I'm trying to figure out which way the train is going, and then I'm going to go this way so I can slip across. I will drive five miles to get across that track, you know, 30 seconds earlier. And Denise goes, just be patient, you know. You, you, you don't have to. But no, I want to, I'd rather be moving than parked, even when it doesn't make sense. Because that's who I am. So many of us can't wait. But yet, the older I get, the more I realize that the right timing is everything. The right timing is everything. Corrie ten Boom. Corrie ten Boom, she was a a Dutch Christian. And most people know her because she lost all of her family in the concentration camps of Nazi Germany. And, And she forgave those who killed her family in the camp. A powerful story. But, but the story I want to share with you this morning about Corrie ten Boom is she had the unfortunate incident at about six years old. She saw a baby die in front of her. She witnessed it. And she went home to her dad. And she is sobbing, saying, Dad, don't die. I don't want you to leave. You know, because she just realized the fragility of life itself. And, and as she's crying to her dad, her dad sits down next to her and he says, Now, Corey, Corey, when we travel to Amsterdam by train, when do you get your ticket? And she said, You give it to me right before I get on the train. And her dad said, That's the way God is. You know, we're all going to have peaks and we're all going to have valleys. And God will give you the strength that you need exactly when you need it. God does not move early and he does not move late. He moves according to his perfect timing. And that leads us to the scripture today on the back of your bulletin. If you want to look at the back of your bulletin, this is the one. See if you can figure out where I'm going here. Uh, This one is confusing. This is an Advent passage from the book of Galatians. How many of you go to Galatians to read about the nativity story? But this one just blows me away because Paul writes here, but when the fullness of time had come, Underline that. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. In the fullness of time. The contemporary English uh, translation says, uh, but when the time was right, God sent his son. The good news version says, but when the right time finally came, God sent his only son. The living Bible says, but when God had decided the right time had come, he sent his son. And the message paraphrase says, but when the time arrived that was set by God the Father, God sent 
his son. When the time was right, in the fullness of time. You know, when I consider that passage, one thing that always blows me away is, why would you send the Messiah to a backwater nation like Israel that was, that was under the, the domination of Rome, why on earth would you choose 2,000 years ago? The fastest form of transportation and the communication is a horse. Jesus, probably the furthest he ever traveled was about 72 miles, they figure. Anywhere between 72 and 115 miles. And he walked most of that. That makes no sense to me. In the fullness of time, when things were right, he sent his son. Why wouldn't you send him in the 21st century? Why, why, would, why wouldn't you let him do a web page? And he could do podcasts, right? And he could have millions of followers on Twitter and Instagram. And he could reach so many people if he came in the 21st century. What do you mean in the fullness of time, 2,000 years ago, in this backwater nation of Israel? It makes no sense. Jesus could have reached so many more people if he had come today. And, and, and then again, why didn't you send him earlier? Why didn't you send him with Noah? Would save all those people. Send Jesus with Noah or send Jesus with Abraham or, or with, with Moses or something. Why, why wouldn't you send him earlier? Why on earth is 2,000 years ago the time selected by God to send his only son to redeem us. Uh, I don't get it. I, now I've, I've taken the classes and I've read what the scholars say. The scholars say it was the perfect time. It was the perfect time. The first thing they do is they point out, they said, Israel is under the domination of Rome. And they have been. And Rome is very oppressive. And, and, and people are looking for someone to lead them out. Someone to overthrow Rome. So this whole Jewish nation, they, they started to look for the Messiah. And so that was just the perfect timing. Some say it was, it was the perfect timing because of this thing we called the Pax Romana. Anybody here in high school remember the Pax Romana? Pax meaning peace. Romana meaning Rome, the peace of Rome. It lasted 200 years. And essentially, the, the empire of Rome went all the way from India and Russia all the way to Great Britain. And there was peace in that empire for 200 years. And you could travel safely. And nobody would stop you. And they said, well, that helped spread the gospel word. And, and we know that's true because if you're a Roman citizen, nobody touched you. We know that from Acts, the book of Acts. What did Paul have to say when people came up and they were stoning him and beating him? He'd go, I am a Roman citizen. And all those judges and governors would say, time out. Ooh, we didn't know that. We apologize. Uh, please continue to do whatever you want to do. And we know that ultimately Paul appealed to Caesar. But, but so you had this, they said this perfect timing, 200 years of peace, and you could travel anywhere you want. And then they said, uh, oh, yeah, and, and Rome made great roads. So many of Romans' roads still exist today. You can follow, though. The, the, it was such good construction. The roads are 2,000 years old. 
And you can still walk them. And they said that made transportation that much easier because, because you could walk in peace these Roman roads. And then they said it was the perfect timing because of the Roman army. They said, imagine, we know that some of the centurions in the Bible were of the Italian regiment. Oh, that means he's a Roman. He lives in Italy. That means he has talked to Jesus, he has seen to Jesus, and you know where he's going to go when his enlistment's up? He's probably going to head back to Italy, and what's he going to take? He's going to take the gospel of Jesus Christ with him all the way to Italy. We know for a fact, history shows, that, that the gospel message was introduced in Great Britain, introduced in England by Roman soldiers. They were the ones. And so they, the, the scholars look at all this and they say, oh, it was just the perfect timing, just the perfect timing for God to send his Messiah, his only begotten son, so that his word could be spread across the world. Oh. I don't know if they got it right, though. See, I don't think all of those things fully explain why God chose 2,000 years ago. But here's the thing. I don't think I'm ever going to understand exactly God's timing. I, I think I can speculate. I think I can conjecture. But, but I am finite trying to understand the reasons that the infinite may have for sending his son, Jesus Christ, 2,000 years ago. I don't think I am ever going to get satisfactory answers this side of heaven. I want to know, but I have to find peace in not knowing. And you know why? Because the scripture says, God's thoughts are not my thoughts. God's ways are not my ways. There was a great song that he is God and I am not. And what peace and knowledge that comes from finally understanding that he is God and I am not. You see, <clears throat> I'm not called to question God's timing. I'm called to accept God's timing. And that's the challenge. Because none of us like to wait. All of us are impatient. All of us want to keep moving. And God says, I'm going to grow your faith while you wait in the waiting room. You know, consider the examples of the scriptures of people that tried to force God's hand. They either tried to move ahead of God or they lagged behind and got in trouble. You, you guys remember Sarah, right? Sarah and Abraham. God says, hey, you're going to have a son. Through him, all these promises are going to be fulfilled. And Sarah and Abraham, they get tired of waiting. And then they figure out, oh, well, we'll give uh, our handmaid to Abraham and any any children the handmaid have, they'll be Abraham's, and that's what God must have meant. And God said, oh, 
No. And, and because of this, there's a son named Ishmael. Uh, Hagar has a son named Ishmael who is Abraham's son. And Isaac is the father of Jews. Who, who is Ishmael the father of? The Muslims. The Muslims trace their lineage back to Abraham, but they follow through Ishmael. The Christians and the Jews go back to Abraham, but they follow it through Isaac. Because they tried to get ahead of God and didn't wait for his timing, we are still dealing with the repercussions of Sarah and Abraham not being able to wait. What about Moses? Moses sits here and goes, he realizes, hey, I'm a Hebrew. I'm going to lead these people out of my land, out of Egypt, and I'm going to set them free. And so he decides to take it on his own, and he says, I'm going to start killing Egyptian overseers. And he kills an Egyptian overseer. And God says, you're way out of sequence, my friend. This is not my timing. So you go into the desert for 40 years and tend to sheep. And at the end of 40 years, God appears to Moses in a burning bush and says, it's time, my time. Now you will deliver my people in my timing and my way. Again, God ahead of God. And, and what about getting behind God? I, I, there I go back to the... God's, God leads these people. He parts the Red Sea. He sends manna down from heaven. He sends quail. For, he does all this kind of stuff. And then he takes them to the promised land. And he says, I give you the promised land. It's yours. March in and take it. I will give it to you. And they send in 12 spies to check it out. And 10 spies are scared. 10 spies come back and say, oh my goodness, the army that is in there, oh, we can't do what God says. We can't fulfill God's vision. We, we, we got to give up. We're, we're not ready for that. We're just a small nation and, and, and we don't think God can do what he told us he can do. Even though they were a witness of all that. God goes, oh, you lag behind. You don't have faith. I tell you to march in and you refuse. And God decrees because you refuse to go in, you will all die in the desert. This whole generation, except Joshua and Caleb, who wanted to do what I told them to do. For 40 years, they travel the desert. Uh, they, they say it would be a trip that would take less than seven days. But it takes the Hebrews 40 years until all these people die. Because God's not going to let them into the promised land. But, but these ten spies say, oh, we made a mistake. We made a mistake. We, we'll do what God said. We'll do what God said. And so they got their army together and they charge into the promised land. And the first town that they attacked, what happened to them? The Jewish army was annihilated. Because their time to act on God's direction had passed. And they failed to obey. Now I'm sure that there is probably testimony in this room you can all give. About God called me. When I was a teenager. And I, I chose human love over his call. God 
God wanted me to go to the mission field, or God wanted me to do this. God, I know God wanted me to do that. And I didn't listen. And I didn't obey. And I know some of the consequences I'm feeling today are because I didn't follow God's timing in my life. Because in the fullness of time, when God directed me to do something, I had an excuse. Or I tried to force God's hand. I quit a job before he said it was time to quit. Or I I got a new job before he said it was time for me to get a new job. I was just supposed to be waiting for him. And I gummed up the works because my timing was off. Because I made my own choice rather than following him. This morning, I want, I, I want to give us some hope from the scriptures about finding God's timing and God's plan and God's design so that we don't get so far off course that it takes us a lifetime to get back where God planned to have us in the first place. Here's some things, uh, some scriptures. First off, God is patient. God is not in a hurry. Anybody testify to that? Oh, yeah. Second Peter says, But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but for everyone to come to repentance. It's so easy to look around us and compare ourselves to other people and say, man, things are going so great here. This, I, I, I need to do what they're doing. I, I need to, you know, they, they found the right job. They're working for this employer. Uh, in, in terms of relationships, hey, they were able to have a relationship outside of marriage and it did, didn't hurt them. Maybe that's okay for me. We, we all go through and we, we all evaluate those things and we compare ourselves But we need to understand, each of us is unique. God's plan for Ben is different than God's plan for me. God's plan for Andy is different than God's plan for Candace. We are each unique, and God has a specific plan for each of us. And we must be patient as he is patient, as he works out that plan in us. Denise and I, we... It's always amazing how God is working downstream. God's working way downstream. He's moving pieces to get everything just right. Maybe he's got to move somebody out of a position at work. Or maybe he's got to get a retirement. God God has the big picture. And he's keeping the big picture in mind. And he is working on the big picture. And then we go and short circuit it. Or we go... And try to force it. Not only for, for jobs, but also for our family. How many times do we, do we try to move our kids? We don't think they're making progress or moving in the right direction. And we try to, you know, be a cowboy and drive them in the right direction. Instead of saying, 
God has a plan, a unique plan for them, and it will be according to God's timing. Secondly, remember God directs our life. Proverbs 16, 9 says, In their hearts, human plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. Did you get that? We plan, we make plans, but the Lord establishes their steps. We're all guilty of pre-planning our future. Sometimes that's good, and sometimes that is so bad. When we create a long-term plan in our hearts, then you know what we create? We create expectations, and we create demands, and we expect God to meet our demands and our expectations. And when God doesn't meet our timing and our expectations and our demands, what happens? We become disappointed. We become discouraged. We become angry because God is not moving according to my agenda and my timing. And yet, the scriptures clearly say it is God who directs our lives. My uh, daughter is a teacher up at uh, Storm Lake. And she does translation for all the Arabics and uh, Arabs and the Sudanese and the Spanish and for teachers' conferences and stuff. And she works with some imams who are, are essentially Muslim pastors. And she goes, Dad, these imams, I think they have something right. Because every time they say about a plan, they always say, if God wills it, we'll go to the laundromat tonight. If God wills it, we'll see you at supper tonight. And they always, they always introduce everything with, if God wills us. They know it's God who directs their steps. We make plans, but God directs our steps. Thirdly, it's his timing we should seek. One of my favorite songs, okay? I'm a child of the 70s. Anybody ever hear? It's, an, it's from Ecclesiastes. Have you ever heard the song, Turn, Turn, Turn? Oh, there's a season for everything. It's Ecclesiastes 3.1. Everything has a season. And it goes, uh, there's a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. A time to be born, a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. Turn, turn, turn. It's his timing. Next. Sermon on the Mount. You guys in Wednesday morning Bible study, you know it took me a year and a half to get through the Sermon on the Mount. You just... Jesus says, listen, tomorrow has troubles of its own. <laughs> Live today. 
And God says, I got you. I'll take care of you. Seek ye first the kingdom, and, and what you will eat and what you will wear and what you will do will all be taken care of by me. But don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has troubles of its own. What if we lived in the day? Proverbs 27.1 says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. Recognizing each day we, as we rise from our beds, we only have God to thank for it. As a lawyer, they taught me in law school, always check the obituaries every day. You may have a client. He may be, it's a money thing, okay? <laughs> I originally started reading obituaries to see if I had any clients. Now I sit there and wonder, did they know December 21st was going to be their last day? What were they doing? Did they know that they'd be at some uncontrolled intersection in the, in the county? Did, did they know that that aneurysm that they'd been living with, that had been hidden, all that, did they know that this was going to be the last day? Did, did they live enjoying the moments that God had blessed them with or did they spend it all in worry, in anxiety, in depression, in discouragement? Did they live a life that, that Thoreau calls a life of quiet desperation? Or did they rejoice in the days that God has given them? And here's, here's, here's the great news. This is, this is why you can trust God's timing. Jeremiah 29 for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. God wants good for you. And I know that a lot of people say, oh, Jeremiah 29, that was spoken to a specific people in history and don't take that out of context. And I just turn to John 10, 10. Here's what Jesus says. Jesus said he came so that we might have life and have it abundantly. God wants good for you. Trust him with timing. Trust him with sequence. Trust him with your life. Do what he asks. When he asks. And God says, I will bless you. He wants good for us. That's a God we can trust. Here's a little tougher one. As we wait for God, we should wait quietly. <laughs> Philippians 2. There should be no grumbling or complaining amongst you, right? Ooh. And here in Lamentations, Jeremiah writes, The Lord is good to those who hope in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Oh. It's easier to complain to my spouse and my kids and my neighbors and my coworkers, isn't it? About it's, it, it, this is just so unfair. Just so unfair. You know, what does God want me to learn? Well, I don't get it. I just don't understand. This is all a travesty. And oh, God says, wait quietly. The last thing we think of in doing in a bad situation or when we're anxious about the future is waiting quietly. If we're not complaining, 
then we take action in our own hands. And we will make uninformed decisions that will have consequences for us and for generations to come after us. Wait quietly. Finally, Proverbs 3, 5, 6. We are to submit to his will instead of ours. There it's written, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. God has created us each for a purpose, a purpose to serve him. And he is leading us to live out his design in our lives. And our choice is we can listen and obey or we can reject his timing, his plan, his design, his purpose, and his mission for our life. Family, don't rely on yourself. Rely upon God. The only way we can trust in God's timing is to spend more time in his word, more time in prayer, more time with like-minded brothers and sisters. Choose the people you hang out with, even in church, very carefully. Find those who who are able to discern God's will. Don't look for people that have all the answers. Look for people who live their life in and for God and let them come along beside you. You don't need answers. You need God. And that means we need to be on our knees a whole lot. So if you find yourself today being impatient, anxious, ready to take charge of both the means and the ends of your life, I encourage you, wait. Wait upon the Lord and for him. Do not get ahead of him and do not lag behind him. But be with him wherever and where, whenever he goes. Because God is faithful. Even when we're not faithful, God is faithful. And he will do everything possible to live out his purpose in your life. Seeking good and prosperity for you in all you do. That's all he wants. He's like any other parent who only wants good things for his children. That's what he wants. And he says, and the best place to find that is next to him and his people. 2,000 years ago, God acted at just the right moment. God acted in the fullness of time. God acted 
according to the plan that he had set in motion from the beginning of time. And he sent his son. Why does the scripture say he sent his son? His only son? His perfect and innocent son? To redeem you and I. Here's the good news. This is a God that can be trusted. If he didn't hold back his own son from us, if he didn't save his own son from the cross, from from being abandoned and rejected by human beings, if he didn't do that, we can trust him with the timing and the sequence of his plan for our life. Don't look for answers. Look for God and his moving all around you. He reveals it constantly in so many different ways. We celebrate. God, thank you for what you did 2,000 years ago. Thank you for sending your son Jesus Christ to that manger. And even though it makes no human sense to me, looking back through 21st century lenses, it made perfect sense when it all comes together according to your plan and your purpose. Because we wouldn't be here if he hadn't acted 2,000 years ago according to his plan. Let's pray. Precious Father, you are amazing. There is no end to your love and your grace for us. Even though we stumble and fall and intentionally go the opposite direction from from your commands and instructions, you pursue us. You keep trying to provide ways for us where we just can't even see ways. And and you give us things that are better than we could even ask or imagine. Lord, what you share with us about yourself and about your will, it's all for our our good. You you don't benefit from our obedience. But, oh, Lord, do we benefit. Oh, Lord, we receive so much. When we obey and show the fruit of the spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. God, this Christmas season, we can't wait. Because not only are we celebrating Jesus' life, but you've given us a present that we still need to unwrap. You have given us a future in you and we can trust that you want good for us when we follow you God bless these lives in this uh, room today as we prepare room in our heart for you 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.